greatly be here with you. As Kate has said and Sam has said, we're so excited about the prospect and the possibility of starting church back up again, studio church, which will be a kind of a phased and gradual way of getting back to normal, but going beyond normal, because we're going to have this kind of live streaming for the internet uh, forever and ever. We're still in the kind of shadows of this thing, so if it goes horribly wrong tonight, then please do bear with us. Thanks, Laura, for the tip about the box around the face. Hope that's gone now, but if not, just live with it. Deal with it. We're finishing our session, Stu's Firm Foundation. And this is for you if you're a church person, and it's for you if you're not sure about church, maybe you're dipping back after a while, or you're just casually uh, on the outside looking in. What kind of foundation you build your life upon. Because if coronavirus has shown us anything, it's shown us that actually so many of us, the foundation that we built our life on isn't as secure and firm as we thought that it was. The way that we base our life and our hope and our future is way more precarious than most of us actually recognize. And coronavirus has blasted that all about. And for some of us, particularly those of you that would say, I'm not particularly a person of faith or a person that goes to church, actually, I tell you what, you have in common with the majority of people in our country today is that the foundation that you build your life upon is these things. Now, these here, this is a kind of a feature along with these. Can you tell what it is yet? This is a feature of what's happened in the Gennady house over lockdown. We've actually gone into, deep into, poker. We have regular poker nights, just a little bit of fun, one of those things that we've picked up. And I can tell you this, poker night in the Gennady house is just as crazy. I mean, it, it's wild. I personally now owe a heck of a lot of money to my youngest daughter, Isabel. And I'm good for it. I'm good for it. She's um, threatened to... <laughs> she's going to have me cats. She's already taken the car. But here's the thing. Uh, in poker, it's a game of chance. And uh, Mrs. Denali still said when we're playing the game, she said, I don't like this game because it's not about skill, it's about luck. And we say, of course, it's about skill. But there is a heavy component of luck. And what happens is that you've got a certain amount of chips and you've got a card and a hand that you've been dealt. But it's a kind of random thing. And for so many of us, the foundation of our life is just luck. We hope that we get lucky. We hope that things are going to be okay. We hope that things go well. We need good luck on our side. And we get lulled into a full sense of security because actually, the hand dealt us already has been pretty good. If you are born in the West and if you live in the West, if you now are watching this through a phone or through a computer or some kind of mobile device, and if not, how are you doing this? But if you have that thing, you've been down a great time. You, you've been born lucky. You've found yourself lucky. Maybe you lucked out with gifts and talents and abilities and then maybe good looks and charm and a good supportive family or friendship group. These are lucky things. But we hope that our luck will hold. We hope that the cards that get dealt to us will be good. We hope that we don't get a handful of cancer or a handful of unemployment, a handful of heartbreak and disaster, and actually we hope that things will be okay. And the foundations of our life is things are going to be okay. Tomorrow is going to be better than yesterday. The coronavirus is showing us that that is not a great foundation to build your life upon. You can't just build your life upon uh, the idea that you hope that things are going to go well. 
For us as followers of Jesus, we want to build our life on something way more secure. We want to have faith in something that actually holds weight. And that's why over the course of this series, we've talked about the firm foundation of who Jesus is. Christianity is not primarily teaching, it's not primarily philosophy, it's about a historical person, a historical event. And the evidence of Jesus living, dying, and raising from the dead is actually so much stronger than you realize. The fact that the church exists at all from the early inception of this unknown Galilean teacher who walked everywhere and never wrote a single book, and yet within a few years, millions upon millions of people were convinced that he was God in the flesh. This doesn't happen. There's no other way to explain it. But today, as Kate's already uh, given uh, the nod, I'm going to be speaking about heaven. Now, some of you, when we say we're going to speak about heaven, you get a little bit nervous. Maybe you're even thinking, ah, I don't know, maybe I tune out of this one or I go and look at something else online. And that would be a mistake. Because we have this idea about heaven, which is almost kind of embarrassing. You can go to church for a long time and never hear anything about heaven. But it's a mistake not to think about heaven. Because actually in heaven is a faith that we have. In one sense, my foundation of my faith is based on who Jesus is in the past, what he has done in history. An equal and opposite foundation is in the future. It's what God promises to give us. And Matt talked last week, I know the promises I have you. Promises to give you a future end of hope. And when we come to think about heaven, so many of us, we have this kind of embarrassing view of heaven. We think, ah, uh, it sounds a little bit too much like a kid's fairy tale. It sounds a little bit too much like pie in the sky when you die. And so we get worried and we get embarrassed about it. But there's two reasons why you really need to hold this message, whether you're a believer or whether you're just checking it out. And the first reason is this. Unless you know where you're going, you don't have the security to handle your present right now. There's a great verse that comes in the book of John, where Jesus says to his disciples, he says, um, he says, I know where I come from, and I know where I am going. He says, I know where I come from, and I know where I am going. Because of that, he was able to wash the feet of his disciples. If you don't have a clear vision of where the whole Christian story is heading, you're going to miss out on the tenacity, the perseverance, and the strength of courage and character that it takes to get through the tough, hard times, to weather the storms that are in our experience. But here's the second thing. The reason that so many of us don't get too excited about heaven or don't think about it too much, don't talk about it too much, is that we've made mistakes about what heaven is all about. The two fundamental problems with most people's view of heaven. And what we're going to do this evening, over the next few minutes, is we're going to go through these two things. And actually, we're going to tear down these misconceptions, these wrong, bad, dumb-headed ideas of what heaven is. And actually, for some of you, this is going to come as a little bit of a shock because you were brought up with this. And maybe you have this. It's kind of like a kid's view. Maybe you've always believed these things about church, but they're actually not what the Bible says. So we're going to read seven verses. Seven verses that I like to call the heaven seven. 
these seven verses on the heaven from Revelation chapter 21, they encapsulate everything about the future hope we have in Jesus. These verses, if you can get them into your bloodstream, they will radically change the way that you feel about your life and how you feel about your future. And if you're not a person of faith, if you're just kind of chucking in because you're a flatmate, you just wandered into the room, you're a parent, you're a, a lover, a mistress, whatever you may be, uh, this is some stuff for you to listen in on because there's a promise for you, and I'm going to get to that at the end. So we're going to read the first couple of verses from the heaven. Seven. And this is John with his vision on the island of Patmos around about 100 uh, AD. He says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sin. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. The first thing that you need to hear, the first mistake that we need to correct, is this. It's down, not up. Everyone say, down, not up. Oh, yeah, I've got an audience again. I've got people to repeat the stuff that I say. Johnny, say, down, not up. Going on camera, he's got him to come on. Never mind. Down, not up. What, what do we mean by this? Down, not up. When John has this divinely inspired vision of heaven, the ultimate end of the story, it's not of people going up to heaven. It's of heaven coming down to earth. So many of us are popular conceptions of where you go when you die if you go up to heaven. I was having uh, drinks with uh, some friends of ours just uh, a couple of days ago, distance, and uh, they're both doctors working in Bristol hospitals. And uh, they told us a couple of things. They said, actually, uh, the last coronavirus patient in uh, the hospitals in Bristol was, was just discharged. And then the other one said, yeah, discharged, they actually died. So yes, technically they were discharged. And then the first one said to me, oh, we actually have a, a phrase for that. We, when we want to say that someone's died, we say to one another that they've been referred upstairs. They've been referred upstairs. In other words, they have checked out of this mortal coil and they've gone up into the street by and by in heaven. And that's how we think. That's how we are sort of brought up and taught to think that heaven is a place that you go to when you die. When you die, you're going to go up to meet the whatever in the sky. And uh, that is a kind of popular image. And it's a difficult image because when we think about heaven, it's not a great image that we have. We imagine going up onto the clouds, sitting on a um, a cloud with a white knife on, you give enough heart, and it's kind of like going to a wedding, but, but like a wedding of your mum's friend, where you basically, with a bunch of people you don't really know, they're kind of odd, and uh, there's a lot of hymn singing, and what feels like waiting around for eternity. And for so many people, that's your view of heaven, that you kind of go up. And so many of the early thinkers around heaven, they didn't take a biblical view of heaven, they took a kind of Greek view 
which is that the earth is bad, that the world is corrupt, that this is a study place, and one day we'll be rid of it, we'll go to the perfect, platonic ideal, we'll be rid of these earthly, grubby, physical bodies, we'll be ethereal, we'll be like light, we'll be purely spiritual, we'll go up to heaven when we die. And John says, no, that's not the way that it is, that's not the reality. The reality that the Bible pictures and paints is of heaven coming down. A heavenly city, New Jerusalem, coming down. When we talk about heaven, we're simply talking about the sphere, the dimension where God lives, well, exists, where the spiritual is the greatest reality, where the angelic beings where the kind of things that we all see, the curtain is unveiled, and we see into this spiritual realm, God's space, God dimension. And the Bible says that one day at the end of all things, heaven itself is going to come down to where we are. Heaven and earth, the material, physical, the spiritual, and godly divine are going to be fused into one. That changes everything. Because suddenly the earth is not a place that I want to escape from. Suddenly the earth is not something that I want to reject and have done with it. And I'm waiting for the sweet by and by, the, the wonderful hereafter. No, it is that the earth is good. Creation is good. God's original plan is good. But now heaven comes and God himself will be with us. Still feel? That God is remote, distant. Give a feel that you don't know whether your prayers are being answered. The Bible says that one day this separation, this gulf between the spiritual, God's dimension, and our everyday experience will be scrubbed away. And heaven will come down. It's down, not up. Everyone say down, not up. There is more. If you have the idea that heaven's a place that you go to when you die, the Bible is very, very clear. Heaven comes down. Now, the Bible is kind of intentionally vague about this because there are certain things that are just too mysterious that they're above our pay grade. And so, yes, the Bible will talk about it's better to, to, to be with Christ, that when I die, somehow I'm going to be with Christ. And Jesus on the cross to the thief next to him, he says, Listen, this day you will be with me in paradise. He told his disciples, in my father's house, there are many rooms. The Greek word he used was waiting rooms. And, and the Bible gives us little hints and glimpses of what it might be like that when I die, in some way I'm going to be caught up in the ecstatic presence of Jesus himself. It's a waiting thing. Because ultimately, the reality is, heaven comes down to it's down, not up, but here's the second mistake that you've been making. Let's recap, let's read the whole passage again and then see where John takes it. So, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down, and we'll say coming down, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So it is like a wedding, but it's the best wedding ever. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. Always God's plan, always God's intention. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be there. 
sits down not up, but then he goes on, it gets easy work. He says this, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Everyone say everything new. Then he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy. Okay? In other words, don't firm foundation. You can trust your future to these words. You can trust your hope to these words. You can trust your dreams to these words. You can take these words and they will bring you through when times are tough, when things are hard, they're trustworthy, and they are true. And so God says, write them down. And so here's the second thing. First of all, it's down, not up. But secondly, it's this. It's new, not known. We say new, not known. Never get that you not enough. In fact, listen, give me some hearts and emojis on this one because this one is really going to blow the talk out of the champagne bottle. You not know. Again, the thing that we've inherited from particularly Greek philosophical thought is that the physical is bad and the spiritual is good. And you may have even heard Christians talk like this that physical things are somehow in the second class. Maybe you're out there and you're watching and you've been put off Christianity because you thought, well, you know, Christians, they're all this kind of holy joes and they're into all the things which they're not very practical, but I like making things with my hands. I like being in the dirt. I like the kind of the earthy and I like the real and I like to, to, to enjoy life. And Christians just want to stop everything that you like. And then they dream of one day going to a place where you can't do anything that you like. And actually, when the Bible talks about heaven, it's not saying it's going to be none of those things. It doesn't say it's going to be no earth, no physical dimension, no earthly reality, no world as we know it. But it says, actually, it's going to be new, not none. In other words, the things that we enjoy, that God has made, the things that He has created, the things that He has, has made for us, that we can indulge in and enjoy and put our hands to and, and exult in, these things are very much a part of our future reality. It's not that they're no longer needed, that they're discarded like a, an old banana peel. When you eat the banana, you throw it away, you don't know. That's not what God says, because it's new. Not you said, well, what does you mean? Well, obviously, you means it's not old. This is where John, this old man, has been through so much, he's suffered so much, he's writing to a church that is persecuted. We talked about the growth of the church, but the church grew in lockdown. The church grew under tremendous persecution. And right now, they were being hunted down, they were being imprisoned, they were being prejudiced against, they were losing their lives. And John was able to say, listen, one day God is going to fulfill all things, and the old order of things is going to go. There's not going to be any more tears. There's not going to be any more pain. There's not going to be any more suffering. 
There's not going to be any more sadness, injustice, oppression, no more sexism, no more racism, no more exploitation of the poor, no more brokenness, no more heartache, no more pain, suffering, ailment, no more indignity of death itself. They will all be taken. The old is and he puts it in this incredible way. It's really hard to understand unless you know some of the background. And we've alluded to this one already. But he says this. Listen to this. He says, and based on him, if you've come, lost me, or I've lost you a little bit right now, they're coming. Because he says, there will be no more sin. No more sin. He said, the third. What does that mean? Does that mean no oceans, no waves, no marine life, no aquariums? No, it doesn't mean that. Again, this is John's prophetic green language. It's the inception of the New Testament. When we say no more sea, that refers back to the thing that we talked about in that first uh, message that I gave about Peter on the stormy lake of Galilee. When Jesus walks across the sea, it was symbolic because for the ancient mind, sea meant the dark forces of chaos. Sea meant darkness. Sea meant evil. Sea meant destruction. Sea was the thing that swallowed you down and drowned you and took you sick down without a choice. Sea was the thing that was unpredictable and could suddenly rise up into a storm before you knew it. Sea betrayed in Revelation is where the beast comes out. It's where all the evil, all the oppressive forces of darkness arrayed against humanity come. They come from the sea. And so when John says, there will be no more sea, the sea is not going to be any more chaos. There's not going to be any more sadness. Some of you, you have and you are suffering right now. In fact, if you're watching on Facebook, then why don't you just hit that prayer or that heart or even the, the tear emoji if this applies to you? Who here right now has experienced themselves coming to the end of themselves? Who here has had the experience where you've just been you feel like you've been steamrolled with all the energy and all the juice has been taken out of you and there's nothing left. Who has been bereaved during this time and you can't even grieve properly? Who has had a relationship that's broken down? Who has had a relationship that's turned down and that it could break down? Who has lost a job or lost a friend or lost a future? Whose plans have come crashing down to the ground? Who here has found it difficult to sleep? Who here has found it difficult to get out of bed in the morning? The Bible says there will be no more tears. There will be no more sadness. The Bible does not minimize your pain right now. It doesn't say anything in mind about that. It's a temporary thing. Get over it. No. God knows. God knows your heart. God knows your pain. God knows your sorrow. And you say to me, Philip, what does the Bible, what does Christianity have to say about suffering? How do you answer that question? I say it talks about a Savior that comes into the world and is acquainted with grief who suffers more than anyone has suffered before or since. The author of faith that says, one day, you, not now, the old, the chaotic, the dark, rolling sea will be wrapped away, taken away. And that amazing song says, when we arrive among heavenly thoughts, when we arrive on the eternity shore, 
where death has been defeated and tears are no more. We'll enter in as the wedding bells ring, and we'll be together and sing. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. And that's the hope, and you need this hope in your life. If you know that one day, no matter how hard it is, no matter what kind of tricks you got handed, no matter what kind of hand you got dealt, no matter what chaotic bad luck, misfortune, brokenness, abuse, difficulty, disaster befell you, one day, no matter what, you, the old, will be gone. No more sickness, no more tears. It will be physically impossible. The evil that happened. It will be absolutely impossible for wrong to happen because God will take that and now we will be in a place where we enjoy the good cause. But it's new. It's new in a way that is incredible. And that word new is a really fantastic word. Now, okay, a little bit technical. So uh, make a coffee if you don't like the Greek. If you do, lean in and give you some thumbs up. Love. Thank you, Jenny. Um, for the people on the internet. Um, two words of Greek for new. One is neos, which is new, as in, like, I have a new car. So if I, uh, right now I've got an Astro, and tomorrow if I buy an Audi, and uh, that would be a brand new car. So it could be a new car, but it would be much the same kind of car. But the word that is used here is this word. It's timeless. I wouldn't say timeless. Timeless means fresh, new in quality and character. So, if I have an Astro Domingo and Audi, yeah, that's a new car, but that's a new car, a new kind of, new but the same. But if I have an Astro and then my next car is a self-driving electric car with hydrogen fusion and a robot butler, well, that's a new kind of car, a whole order, it's a quality and, and this is what the Bible says, and I want you to get this. But one day, God is going to come. Heaven comes down to earth, and together, heaven and earth are going to be new. New in a brand new way. Newness itself is going to be made new. We get to experience all the best of life, but new, even better. So the things that we love, the things that we appreciate, the things that we enjoy, rather than just consigning them to the bin of humanity, we now enjoy them way more than we ever enjoyed them before. We get to experience brand newness of life. And so sport and art and comedy and karaoke night, curry night and poker night gets to be done in a new way. How to think about that one. I think, so, why not? If you play it in the way that the Gnardis play it, it's pretty heavenly. But we get these things in a brand new way. The things that we love, so much more, so much more wonderful than we've ever experienced them before. I hate, let me tell you, I hate, I've always hated. Maybe hate is too strong a word. Strongly dislike falafel. If you like falafel, then you can hit me in the comments, you can do the angry frown. I don't mind. Uh, I've never personally liked until we went to this one vegan restaurant with some friends. That means we go to restaurants. And we go in and they order falafel, and I'm thinking it's lawful. But they bring in the falafel, and suddenly, oh, this is me. It was delicious. It was glorious. And then they brought in a kebab. 
eager to grab what kind of clouds have you brought to this point? And yet, the reason it was to bow in a new way. It was to bow in a way that I didn't dream was ever possible. This was the best I ever had. This is a kebab that just, it was like a party in my mouth and everyone was in the bite. It was like an angel crying on my thumb. It was everything. And this is what John is trying to get us to understand. Jesus says, I make all things new. This is something that gives us our hope. We need to know about heaven. We need to talk about heaven. We need to study about heaven. Because this is ultimately our hope, and it's ultimately we want to invite people. Come in, enjoy the party. And here's the final couple of verses of the heaven seven. The one on the phone, God, he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, they will be my children. What is this? It's an invitation and it's a promise. God says, This is his done. That's why the foundation, the firm foundation, the trustworthy strength of what is lying in wait for me in my future are anchored in what God has done in Jesus in raising him from the dead. Because I know and can have confidence in that. I've got confidence that God will ultimately do this thing. It's not a maybe, it's not perhaps, it's not if I get things going my way. It is done. It's done. God has done it. The Alpha and the Omega, the A to Z, the beginning and the end, the eternal, almighty, all-powerful one. He has done it. And here's your invitation. You don't know God if you're hungry, you're thirsty, you're looking for life. He says, listen, anyone who wants it, you can drink of it. There's water of life. You say, do I have to be religious? Do I have to do some special stuff? No, God says, I'm your father and I'm inviting you. And I've made you for this and I've made this for you. And for those of us that are followers, men and women of faith, he says, here's the promise. You will inherit all this. One day, I'll stride across the luscious landscape that has been made my inheritance. One day I get to someday in a supernova to surf on dark matter, to on holiday on Alpha Centauri. One day I am here all of this. And because of this, I persevere in hardship. I don't lose hope in sound. You miss the heartache, pain, sorrows, sadness, suffering, grief, and pain. Unless I have a firm foundation. It says one day, the tear will be wiped away. There will be no more sorrow, no more dying, no more death. My hope's in hope. So I'd like to invite us to pray right now. If you're not a person of faith, then you simply think, yeah, I think that means I'm thirsty. And you just pray a simple prayer. Ask God right now where you are to come and talk to you, to come closer and to give you some of this water. And for those of you that have had your faith hanging by a thread, you just receive that promise that God knows the future, the 
stands because we have a foundation that can be firm. You can be believers who are strong, trusted, who have been through the waves. And as a mirror, now the sea one day will be taken away and will be brought into the presence of the God who loves us, made us, and knows us. Let's pray. Living God, we thank you for your grace. Thank you that one day we get to be with you. We get to say that you're beautiful because we see you face to face. We see you without filter. We see you without obstruction. We see you as you are. I pray that we would be caught up in that heavenly invitation. Lord, would you give us a fancy vision of what you've got prepared for us? And would you give us a zeal and a passion to bring as many people as we can? into this heavenly party. We want to enter as the wedding bells ring and know an eternity of life as it was always meant to be. I pray for those that are struggling right now would you give us comfort and encouragement, strength in us. I pray for those that are doubting right now would you give us a gift of faith to see you as trustworthy and true. I pray for those that are looking to see this message go out to give us confidence and boldness to proclaim your goodness to everyone that we know. In Jesus' name.